Darren Bloomquist, VP of Market Economics at Auction.com, truly one of the brightest minds I know in the space. If there is a question about foreclosures, he has the answer. This episode was a blast and it flew by, so buckle up. This is The Real Estate of Things. I'm Dalton Elliott. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. Very special guest today. One of my favorite people in this whole industry to speak with. Uh, genius, I think, is uh, what's on his business card. But Darren Bloomquist, Vice President of Market Economics at Auction.com. Darren, I cannot thank you enough for taking some time to chat with me. Oh, wow. that You're too kind. Um I appreciate being here. Thank you. I, I would when your email came through saying, "Hey, you want to be on the podcast?" I was I jumped at it. Uh, happy to, to be on. Love your love what you're doing over there, and love your audience. Your audience is a lot of our customers who are buying off of auction.com. So we we love to to talk to them and hear what you're hearing and and share what here we're hearing as well. Yeah, beautiful. And for anyone listening, if you're not following Darren on LinkedIn, make sure you go do that. I One of my favorite things about scrolling through LinkedIn, whether it's uh, a minute at the office or when I'm laying in bed at night and can't get any sleep, uh, is anytime I run across a Darren post, I stop and I know I'm going to be a more intelligent human after I finish downloading the information that's there. Uh, what uh, Whatever information I can actually understand from it. Uh, you do a great job of putting, putting out uh, good tangent data and concepts. And and you mentioned auction.com. So let's kick it off. Just give me some background of you and uh, auction.com. I'm sure everybody listening has heard of auction.com too. Yeah. I mean, and if you haven't, welcome to, to auction.com. We're, we're a site that, that uh, auctions off uh, residential real estate. Um, and specifically, the two main types of auctions that we do are uh, foreclosure auctions, which we market those properties. And in some states, those are online auctions, but in most states, those actually the actual auctions occur at the courthouse. You physically go there. Although we can talk about this, we're, we're introducing technology called remote bid. Actually, we have been introduced it where you can participate in those courthouse auctions from your phone. So you're not having to go to drive down the courthouse. That's, I won't get into that right now, but uh, that's one type of auction. The second type of auction are the bank-owned or REO auctions. Those are typically all online. That's after the property has been foreclosed. It's owned by the bank. And um, and so, yeah, that's what we do. And we pride ourselves in doing a ton of transactions, being the largest player in this space, and, and really disrupting this space since we've been in it, really in the foreclosure auction space since 2012, and making the foreclosure auction a true marketplace rather than just a place where it was kind of hidden and um, you had to be kind of in the know in the local market to actually transact there. And there was collusion and that sort of thing going on. So we're trying to disrupt all that and make it a true marketplace. Yeah. I Before we dive into the meat of foreclosures right now, you brought up one point that anytime I hear it or think about it, it, it frustrates me a little bit. It's like, why do we have to physically show up at a Saturday morning with a cashier's check or something? If I'm going to an auction, why in the world is it taking forever 
for that part of our space to advance to just sitting behind a computer, what you do at auction.com, right? That platform, that ease of use. Uh, I guess that's one question. And the second one is when is it going to catch up to where I can sit at home and any foreclosure property anywhere, I'll be able to just eBay it up. Yeah, I mean you're you're speaking our language right there. I mean that's that's one of the top five questions we're asking every day is how can we move this process into the 21st century? Um, um, you know, move it into the 90s at the very least. Welcome to the 90s, Mister Foreclosure. But it's uh, um, these for, the foreclosure is is a state run process, so it's legis it's uh, governed by state regulation, state law. And these are laws that are written. I mean, you talk to some of our guys on the ground; it's it's laughable. So, some of these laws are written in the 1800s, um, and they were, you know, they're based on thing on you know, people not having even cars, on on, on using horses and, and things like that. And so, um, we're trying we're trying to update that. It's it's certainly not a huge hot political item that a lot of politicians want to run on. Oh, we're going to update the foreclosure laws, so it's it's a little hard to make progress there. But um, we're pushing it as hard as we can, and this remote bid that I mentioned is actually an attempt to do that outside of not not an illegal way, but it's outside of the law and saying, okay, here's the laws. You do there is the law says there has to be this physical in person foreclosure auction, but what we're going to do is allow people to interact with that physical in-person auction through their phone. And so it's, it's really amazing. Um, and it's the logistics of it are, you know, our team and I can't claim credit for it. It's our team is, is doing an amazing job is you're on your phone. The auctioneer at the auction is lit is doing the auction, taking bids from people who are there physically at the auction, but also, bids that are coming in over our app, they're taking those as bids as well. And so that's one way that we're trying to disrupt that and make it so you can sit at your house or your work or wherever and bid on properties um, without, you know, going to the auction. And, you know, a lot of these properties, these auctions are canceled at the last minute. And most of them are actually not on a Saturday, as you said. Uh, most of them are during the week, during business hours, because that's when the government workers are working. And um, and so we're, we're trying to do that. We're seeing it, it's not available in all counties, but we have it available in about a thousand counties nationwide, that remote bid option. So we're really proud of that. And we're seeing uptick on it. Um, and what it kind of the, the added benefits that we actually didn't even foresee is that we launched this in, I think, March of 2020, um, right around the pandemic. And so one advantage has been, you know, you don't have to be in a crowded space. Some of these auctions are in crowded rooms um, to interact. And the other added benefit that we've found that, that we didn't really foresee is people who are new to the auction process, it's intimidating and so you go to that in-person auction, you see all these people who see, know what they're doing <laughs> um, and you're out of it and you're like, I am, you know, I, I'm intimidated by, by these veteran investors, which we love the veteran investors too, but um, 
it gives those newer folks a chance to participate without um, necessarily that intimidation factor playing in. So anyway, that's one way. I mean, and the REO auctions are online, which is so you can do that from anywhere and they're over a period, they're not at a, a specific, uh, a limited time. The foreclosure auctions are usually over, a, have to be held within a four hour period. Um, that the online auctions are usually over a week. So you have more time on those. Got it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep dragging it from 18th century to 21st century. It's, it's happening bit by bit. But digging, digging deeper here. So you and I chatted, you mentioned before Real Estate of Things podcast existed uh, at Lima One, you were kind enough right around two years ago. Crazy to think how much has happened since you and I last had that conversation. Um, but we talked and one big topic was foreclosures. Right? We have foreclosure moratoriums nationwide. Uh, talk to me about you know investor expectations at that time, right? Like there's this moratorium. And then as soon as these start to lift, there's going to be a massive influx of foreclosures. Uh, so talk to me about how that has actually panned out and what the foreclosure market looks like right now and, and where we're heading with it. Yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty right around that time that I think we talked and investors were uncertain. We saw, uh, well, I'll, I'll address this two ways in terms of, of supply and then demand. In terms of supply of foreclosures, those, you know, those dropped to almost none in the first few months after the pandemic hit. And our platform accounts for roughly 40 to 50 percent of all foreclosure auctions taking place across the country. So we're definitely a good, good barometer of what's happening. And the way I look at it is, is um, percentage of I benchmarked to Q1 20, first quarter of 2020. And if we look at the the volume foreclosure, our foreclosure volume relative to the first quarter of 2020, really before the pandemic hit, um, it dropped to close to five percent of, of that level in the second quarter of 2020, and then it has gradually increased since then. And now, in this first quarter of 2022, two years later, we're we're seeing a pandemic high in terms of foreclosure volume. However, that said, um, we're still at 49% of Q1 2020 levels. So we're still half halfway below half of the, the 2020 levels or Q1 2020 levels. Um, so in terms of supply, that supply is definitely coming back. If you look at some of the foreclosure starts numbers from, from other organizations, you're seeing eye-popping percentage increases of hundreds or even thousands of percent in foreclosure starts. And so I don't, um, but even with those percentage increases, I wouldn't even describe this as a wave of foreclosures. I would describe it as a gradually rising tide um, because we're not even back to the the pre-pandemic levels in terms of supply, but it is coming back. And then in terms of demand, um, we saw demand drop off. It was that V-shaped thing that we saw in the early months of of the pandemic where the demand metrics we look at on our, on our website, which are sales rate and price execution relative to the credit bid. Um, those dropped off for a month or two. 
and then they came roaring back. <laughs> and I, investors realized, okay, this is still a great fundamentally sound market to buy in. And there was limited supply of the distressed property specifically to buy at a discount. And so demand came roaring back and we're seeing demand metrics that we've never seen before, even before the pandemic in terms of the percentage of properties that are selling and the price points they're selling at, which may not always be good news. They're still selling below after repair market value. There's still a an opportunity for investors there, um, but that has narrowed a little bit. Uh, geographically, uh, are there any markets that are well above or below kind of capture your attention when you kind of peel back the layers of data, either on the supply or demand side? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and this is maybe a maybe we can throw up this slide potentially, or you can go to to auction.com forward slash in the news to get this. But um, I have a heat map showing where where we're in the first quarter by state where we're seeing foreclosure volume come back uh, the fastest or and the slowest. Um, and basically, I, I, I benchmark again to twenty for first quarter twenty twenty levels, and when you look at that. So the on the heat map, the green picture this in your mind. Um, the green is is where we're seeing that the numbers come back faster, and the green is mostly in the Midwest and the Rust Belt. Um, a prime example is the state of Indiana, which actually in the first quarter was at 108 percent of its pre-pandemic levels. So it actually was above pre-pandemic levels, even though the, the entire country is at half half of its pre-pandemic levels. Um, another one that stands out is Oklahoma. 98% of pre-pandemic levels. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, if you look at this, we're seeing states um, uh, states like New York um, is a prime example at 30, 32% of pre-pandemic levels. So it's below that national average. It's coming back slower, which we kind of suspect with a state like New York, to be honest. Um, and uh, let's see here. Yeah, some, some in the Northwest, like Oregon, is at 13% of pre-pandemic levels. Um, now, some of the high-volume states are kind of in the middle. California is at 42% of, of pre-pandemic levels. Uh, Florida is at 46% of pre-pandemic levels. Texas actually is a little bit lower. It's tw- uh, 30% of pre-pandemic levels. So um, it, there's definitely a mix depending on how the state is, the foreclosure process works whether it's through the courts or outside of the courts and um, also just state level regulation or state re- level legislation that maybe has um, impacted the foreclosure process during the pandemic, slowing it down. We are diff- seeing different levels of um, volume return. Do you think there are, uh, how do you think, we as a country, and you can pick specific states or markets, but how do you think um, the foreclosure moratoriums work? Like, would you grade them in that process? You know, A, B, C, D. Uh, pick another scale to grade it by. But like, how do you how do you think uh, the, our our collective reaction to COVID and the concerns around housing? Um, how do you think that? panned out now when we have, you know, hindsight 2020? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would, I would grade it probably a B. Um, I, in some ways it, it, 
accomplished the foreclosure moratorium combined with the forbearance program really accomplished what it set out to do, which was to prevent kind of this, the pandemic from triggering a crisis situation and a wave of foreclosures all of a sudden hitting. It gave, it gave people time in this period of uncertainty to respond to the shock, to make sure that they were okay. Um, and not just, you know, fall into foreclosure because of this, this unforeseen kind of natural disaster. And I would, I would, um, I would liken the pandemic more to a giant national natural disaster, as opposed to what triggered the housing, the recession and the housing crisis back in 2008, which is a whole different other set of things kind of internal. This was more of an external shock. And the great thing is that the industry, the mortgage industry had kind of refined their response to natural disasters and, and uh, preventing just these knee-jerk foreclosures from happening um, in some of the flood, the hurricanes and floods that had happened in Texas and Florida in 2017. So I would rate it a B in terms of really pre- preventing a crisis uh, that would have potentially um, brought down the housing market with it. The reason I go B instead of A is um, I think that it it was a it was a blanket moratorium for the most part. The one thing that they did really well was they exempted vacant and abandoned properties. So vacant and abandoned properties or abandoned properties could be foreclosed on. So we, that's why we saw an increase in volume even during the moratorium is the servicers were able to figure that out and say, okay, for sure these properties are vacant or abandoned. We should move forward. That was a really smart move to because those properties are just sitting there and it represents supply that the market need, desperately needs. Um, and if they're just sitting there, they're just creating, potentially creating more blight. So that was a good move. But then I would say it was still a little too blanket of a moratorium and lasted just a little too long. Out of an exercise of caution, um, and what it what it has done is it has contributed to the lack of supply in the country because foreclosures they're not a huge source of supply, but they're an important source of supply for investors who are renovating those properties. They're often not it's not just the vacant and abandoned ones, but the other ones are often very close to being uninhabitable. <laughs> And so investors are taking what's inventory that's really not viable inventory and converting that to uh, inventory that's great. And we see actually that most of our properties that are resold by our buyers are sold to owner occupants. And so by holding on to that moratorium, we believe a little bit, I I believe personally a little bit too long, it has contributed to this. Uh, supply shortage uh, in in a small way. Let's keep on that topic, the supply shortage piece, because there are so many factors contributing to it. Right, you had uh, effectively overbuilding pre Great Recession, right, and then you have real estate crash, and building just drops like a rock. And the ten years, the next ten years, right, like trail or leading up to COVID. Uh, construction was just 
slowly creeping its way back up. And it wasn't even close whenever COVID broke out, wasn't even close to pre-Great Recession levels. So we were not overbuilding. We were, if anything, underbuilding leading into COVID. And then COVID hit, you have lockdowns. Uh, that just scraped everything for a long time. And as we sit today, all of the issues that affect every part of you know a consumer's life, you have supply chain issues, uh, parts, labor, uh, all of these uh, problems, a permitting is taking way longer in most markets than it did pre-COVID. All of these contributing factors that continue to keep supply suppressed. Uh, do you have any finger on the pulse of whenever we're going to have, you know, a healthy six-month supply of housing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we do see it on the new home side, the supply coming back now. Part of that is supply chain problems is that it's holding up uh, some of the supply in construction and they're, you know, and they're not, and the, the builders have stopped selling some of their properties before their completed construction because they um, are so far behind. But we are seeing the supply in, in the new homes market at six, have, hovering around that kind of balanced six months of inventory for the last few months. So that's kind of an early sign. Usually the new home sale uh, market is is a leading indicator of the existing home sales market. Um, but yeah, we're, we're still at, uh, I believe it's t- around two months or less supply at the, um, in the existing home sale market. And it did tick up a little bit in April, which is good. And I, I mean, I think the best thing that can happen is um, we see that, that balance come back to the market, which puts downward pressure on home price appreciation, which is, has gotten out of control as to when that will happen. Um, it's hard to say. I would, I would guess. Uh, my best guess would be by the end of this year we'll see that. I mean, the combination of the builders have definitely r- ramped up supply during the pandemic. Um, that takes a while to make its way into the market. Um, then you do have the you know the foreclosure moratorium has been lifted, so that's one small source of supply. We think it's an important source of supply, um, and then. That combined with cooling demand, we would expect to see as a result of rising mortgage rates should help to balance things out by the end of this year. Um, we st- that demand really hasn't cooled too much, but um, there are some early signs that we're starting to see that uh, cool. Certainly on our platform, we're seeing investors uh, still very strong demand from our investors. And we actually surveyed our investors just recently. And what was really interesting was that over half of our buyers described their market as overvalued with a correction possible. So they, they see that there's some frothiness in this market because of the rapid home price appreciation. But then they, they're, they're still super confident um, about, selling into this market because, and, the, and so the, the evidence of that is that 86% of them say they're planning to increase or keep the same, their property acquisitions this year compared to last year. Um, so, and so, and when I talk to them, I've talked to a few just individually uh, to get more color 
And this is kind of varying off a little bit from your <laughs> original question, but I think it's important because I see our investors as a leading indicator and they're always looking out six months ahead into the market, what the market's going to look at like six months from now. And so they do see there's an increased risk of a slowdown in home prices and even a potentially a correction in some markets. But they're confident because um, the type of inventory they're dealing with is inventory that's on the lower, more affordable tier of the market, which the, the demand for that is typically more solid. And secondly, I would say, well, there's three things. So secondly, they um, because these are distressed properties, they're adding value through innovation, which is uh, not as dependent on home price appreciation. Um, they can still actually make a profit even if home prices don't go up in a lot of cases. And um, and the third thing is the rental market is so strong. So even though most of our buyers, their primary strategy is renovating and, and reselling, they have that uh, they can hold those properties as rentals if they need to in a softening market. And the rental market is still very strong. So um, that's what gives them the confidence. That's promising to hear that feedback from your base. And yeah, the we, we didn't even touch on it and we don't have enough time to, but the rental side of the fence, right? HPA gets, uh, makes a lot of the noise, but you know, I think rental appreciation is something that COVID at the, the crazy rates of growth, um, has become a headline as well. Um, so definitely, but like you said, the silver lining there from an investor standpoint is that you have flexibility, you have optionality, and whenever you have, uh, a decent bit of uncertainty in the market because you have so many variables changing and shifting all over the place, whether it's rates, HPA, is it going to cool off? Is it going to keep on exploding ahead? Supply chain labor issues go down the line. Uh, optionality with how you can dispose of a property or uh, just pivot your strategy. That that has to, like you said, add some certainty from an investor standpoint and uh, definitely feeds into the confidence that kind of uh, you saw whenever you surveyed your base. Um, Darren. Yeah. And that was, that survey was in March. So it was, it was fairly recent. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Never enough time, my friend. We have, I'm already thinking like when, how soon can I get you back on for another episode? Uh, I appreciate you jumping on here so quickly. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, auction.com, uh, the best, the best company name in the, uh, in the industry, right? Like auction.com tells you everything you need to know right out of the gate. Uh, Darren, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Dalton. Uh, pleasure to be here. Right. Thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Thank you for joining us today on the real estate of things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.